0: Hello product innovators, today we learn from the manager of a 300,000 square foot product distribution center on logistics consideration on getting your product into the hands of your individual customers.
1: You're listening to the product startup podcast Now, onto the show.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm excited to introduce Bill Carlin to the show. He runs a massive hardware product warehouse, fulfillment, distribution, and logistics company called Shipmate Fulfillment. They do everything from receiving your shipment from the manufacturer to sorting and packing and then getting individual units into your customers' hands, handling all the returns and everything in between. Simply put, Bill is a great knowledge resource for inventors, startups, and small manufacturers to understand, plan for, and best execute on your product's fulfillment logistics. Now on to the episode. Bill, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, nice to be here.
0: I understand you're doing three guest appearances today.
2: Oh yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a totally booked day. So, you know, I'm got them back to back to back and, you know, we're getting through it. We're running yeah, through I,
0: it. I know how those <laughs> days go. They're busy, but it's yeah. it's exciting. You're, you're a popular guy because there's a lot <laughs> to, to talk about when it comes to warehousing and logistics and all of that. So, you know, really excited today to talk about a number of things in and around the warehouse you know, whether you're a startup or you're a scaling company, um, one of the things that's sometimes overlooked or misunderstood is what happens to your product to actually get it moved to your customers, you know, whether that, that be wholesale customers or whether that be direct to your end buyers. So today, I'm excited to go through the whole gamut, starting um, with the life cycle of that product coming into the facilities, and then, of course, uh, inventory management and all the other things that go along with actually packaging it together, and then dealing with customer returns and all the rest. So, first things first, Bill, can you just give us a run through on what exactly is the different terminology around warehousing and 3PL and what it all means and all that?
2: Yeah, of course. So you've probably heard the term 3PL, uh, fulfillment center, warehouse. Some people misuse the word dropship when they're referring to their 3PL or their warehouse. And, you know, these are really interchangeable terms that a lot of people use to, you know, designate the building that is handling the actual movements of their goods. So behind every business is somebody taking a product, taking a package, putting it inside a box, you know, sealing that up with love and sending it out to your customer. So these people pay play a really important role in your business, even if they're not seen on the service level.
0: And Talk a bit about um, what you guys are doing with your warehouse. You've got a 300,000 square foot facility. Uh, you're managing all kinds of different, hundreds of different projects for different folks. Um, talk a bit about your background and your facility and how it applies to all of this, and then we'll get into the, the lifecycle of a product coming through a warehouse.
2: Yeah. So first off, a little bit about me. I mean, I've been selling products on eBay, Amazon, Etsy since I was like, you know, 13 years old. So, I mean, I have over 10 years of experience doing this sort of thing. And, you know, I really come from that product background, you know, designing a product, finding a product, acquiring a product, putting that on a sales channel and selling it. So, you know, I really got a strong background in products. And when I went to school, I went to school to learn about marketing and operations and, you know, did a dual concentration in that. And from there, kind of went out and worked for a while selling products and designing products and selling them on Amazon. Got to the point where we were doing, you know, 10 figures uh, every year selling on Amazon. And from there, we eventually realized we got this big building, we got all this staff, you know, we're doing it for ourselves. Let's get out there and sell this service to others who need it. So today we service almost 100 customers um, of various sizes. We have some people that ship one package a week, we have other people who ship as many as 800 or 1,000 packages a day. So we got all different size companies. We got companies that are domestic. We got companies that are foreign. Um, but a lot of our customers come from right here in Philadelphia. And you know we're really proud about that local aspect and being able to serve others in our community as well.
0: Right on. That's great. So at a high level, what do you do for a customer?
2: Yeah. So at a high level, there's really two things that a warehouse does for you and that is keep track of your inventory and fulfill your orders. Both of these are really important things because you gotta know what you have, you gotta know how much you have, you gotta know where it is, and that's a large part of the game that's often overlooked. But even more important than, you know, knowing what you have and knowing where it is, is how does it get there, right? At the end of the day, you gotta get it to your customers and, you know, they want it right now in in today's economy, and you need somebody who's able to meet those SLAs, meet those deadlines, And, uh, you know, get those products to your customers in a timely manner. And that's what we do here at Shipmate and what a lot of other companies in our industry do as well.
0: So let's break it down in terms of the life cycle of a product getting to you and then going through all the processes and then basically finishing that life cycle. Um, Start at the very beginning. And, um, you know, many of our listeners are first time product developers uh, or looking to scale up or, or develop their first product and uh, get it into production for the first time. So break it down in terms of how they can understand um, how the processes work for working with a 3PL warehouse like yourself.
2: Right. So here at Shimmei, we basically have three processes we go through at receiving, right? So the first is a parcel process. So if you're sending us, you know, 50 units, 100 units, you might be able to fit that all in one or two boxes. And, you know, we receive those off the back of the UPS truck or the FedEx truck or whatever, just, you know, as a normal everyday parcel. From there, we often log it and then we send it to a receipt, Then we send it to a receiving put away team to have it placed on a shelf and added to your inventory. We also receive pallets and containers from larger customers that might be manufacturing, you know, an entire product line or you know they have an established mature product that they're ordering larger quantities of and from this, you know, we'll unload that truck, we'll separate things by SKU, we'll check each SKU into an individual location so everything is segregated and kept separate from each other so, you know, we have the most accurate count, everything's well divided, easy to find, easy to locate all on its own in the warehouse. And from there, you know, we'll be able to log that into the inventory and give you a live count of what you have in our building.
0: Right on. So first and foremost, customers get the product to you. And I imagine that can come in a variety of different ways. Like you said, it can, it can come in many different methods, but the key is just get it to your door. And then from there, you've got the processes essentially to pull it all apart in like count the inventory, make sure you've right. got the right numbers. You've got all the different. If there are different types of products, they're separated, yeah. and then you put them to a side, and you you put that into some sort of a system that you have in the back end that that now starts to coordinate with uh, with the customer's system, or just even directly with the customer to understand the numbers and whatnot.
2: Right, correct, and I mean Perfect. the biggest thing here from a customer side, right? So if you're somebody designing a product, making a product, ordering a product you want to make sure that your labeling is well done, right? So you want to make sure you have SKUs in place, you have barcodes in place, lot numbers, expiration dates, if you need it. But whatever information is going to be needed to identify that product for us and for you, that's going to be really important. Because if we're able to identify your product quickly, we can check it in a lot quicker, we can receive it quicker, we can pack it quicker for you. It just makes everybody's life easier. And that's something that happens at the design stage. And that's something that, you know, I, I think is a really big key when working with a warehouse, because that's what's going to make that relationship work really well for everybody involved and give you the best results.
0: Yeah. And you know what? It's pretty easy to do. I mean, we, we manufacture all kinds of new products for, for our startup clients and hardware folks and all of that. And one of the easiest things we can do is when we're working with the manufacturing side, just tell them to put a UPC code on it, right? Make sure it's labeled, make sure it's identified, make sure it's individually boxed. If you have multiple, you know, uh, multiple pieces per box, multiple boxes for for per, cr- per crate, and so on, make sure all those numbers are itemized in a spreadsheet so that that we can just simply hand that over to you at the warehouse, and you can just essentially double check it very easily, registering it on your end. It takes a minor amount of work for the manufacturer to put these things into place but it saves a tremendous amount of dis- potential disorganization or confusion certainly down the line and that's when you're essentially auditing that that inbound freight that came in and double checking that the things are supposed to be there that's that that are on the spreadsheet essentially
2: right and like i said that's just what gives you know the best results for everybody because that's something we can handle for you too if you're not familiar with you know barcodes upc codes that's something we can help you with we can you know guide you to the right resources and, you know, if you can't even, you know, you can't get that help at the factory level, it's something we can do here and we can help you, you know, design a process that allows us to receive it and label it for you.
0: Right on. So let's now move ahead in the, in the process. You've got the product in, you've counted it. Uh, what's next?
2: Yeah. So now that it's on a shelf, right, it, it's a living thing. Inventory is a living thing. Right, it can increase, it can decrease, we can get more in, we can send some out to your customers. It's a living, breathing thing. So there's two types of inventory management systems. One's continuous, the other's static. Um, Here at Shipmate we work on a continuous basis, meaning that our inventory live reports every 15 minutes. Every time that API connection is called, we're reporting back live inventory. Having a live count is really important because there's a lot of movements going on, right? There's a lot of things happening in the warehouse and we want to track every one of those instantaneous and give you those numbers right away. Um, some other warehouses and, and uh, you know certain processes we use what's known as static inventory, and static inventory is reported periodically rather than on a continuous basis. This leaves a little more room for error, but it's another way that you see warehouses report back inventory. So it's important to mention. So you know, like maybe every Wednesday you get a report or an end-of-day report rather than a live, instantaneous feed. So these are the two ways you see inventory management happen. And like I said, you'll see these counts fluctuate as things come in and out. You should also expect regular cycle counts, whether that be every week, every two weeks. Somebody's going to be physically counting this inventory. A human being's going to go to that bin. They're going to say, I got 15 of these. I got 27 of those. And that's how we get these counts. So, you know, you, you have a live human being physically counting your inventory, and that's how we know what you have.
0: Right. So you've got a I guess you've got a combination then almost of real-time reporting in combination with with checks and balances or auditing yep. to make sure that the accuracy is there in your real time platform.
2: Oh, exactly. Because sometimes, you know, you send something out and then somebody puts in a duplicate order and you send another one out, or you know, a return comes in and it got checked by the returns process, but somebody didn't check it into the bin. So you want to make sure that you're doing continuous checks. Because it's really easy with human error for somebody to have a count off by 1% at the end of the day. So, you know, you want to make sure that you have somebody who's doing both, right? They're doing some sort of reporting to you on a continuous basis, or at least in a periodic sense that's, you know, fast enough for you to make real time decisions. And you want somebody who is actively counting that inventory.
0: Makes sense. So, what happens if Um, you know, whether you've got different products coming in or maybe you have one product, but you need to ship three at a time in a package to one type of customer or just one at a time to a different customer. How does that kind of uh, management of shipping and packaging happen within a warehouse like yours?
2: Right. So this is a really important thing. And a lot of customers come in needing this kind of service. Uh, We refer to it in the industry as kitting and bundling, right? And that's when you take... uh, Units of the same thing or different things, you put them together. You make a, you know, a master package. Um, some people can do this on demand. That's something we can do. We can go to three different bins, assemble something on the spot, or we can run it as a service labor project. You know, we have a team here that actively works on projects like that. So let's say you need to take, you know, uh, a baseball bat, a baseball glove, and a baseball, and put them together and sell a starter kit. We can do that for you. We have the materials here to do that. And we can get that created and put into your inventory, just like it's another product. So a lot of times uh, people will have a product come in that's not finished, meaning it might need to be changed from another box into a different box. It might need extra padding. It might need an insert. It might be going into a custom box. Um, You know, you might be adding a free gift to it. So, a lot of times it's important to check with a warehouse before you start working with them, that they can meet all your needs when it comes to all that handling and uh you know processing your goods.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you you're you're launching a new product, you don't always know exactly how that thing's gonna sell. And I think what's important here is ensuring that you have warehousing flexibility as a, as a product startup, because the last thing you want is you know. Costco jumps on board and says, "This is great. I want that in a three pack. Can you deliver it in a month?" And you're going, "You know, my it's stuck in a warehouse. So I can send you the pallets." Well, if, if you didn't send them what they want, exactly what they want, you're not getting that purchase order. So I, I think that's I, I love the fact that you right. you guys do that. You bake that into your processes to say, "Look, if something changes, if you need a new box, if you need to package things together, if there's different avenues that you need to sell it, maybe it's even selling as a different barcoded product because you've got." Some unique changes that are happening at the packaging level in the warehouse. But you can handle all that. So, if you're a, a you know a startup and you're coming to to you guys, like how complicated it is, is it for a startup to to manage this? Right, like they don't have complicated inventory management systems and all this sort of stuff, right? Most physical product startups are starting by selling via email or direct to customers. They might have a spreadsheet for who their customers are that week or whatnot. You know, how is it made simple for them? Uh, when working with a kind of a managed warehouse like yourselves?
2: Right. So this really varies by warehouse, but here at Shipmate and at a lot of other warehouses, we have dashboards that we give you access to, right? These are tools that you have every day in your arsenal that you can access. You can not only see the live inventory counts, but you can run all your orders through this dashboard. You can look back at past orders, get information you need. You can put in... Uh, all your orders, right, your POs, and you can tell us, hey, we're getting this in, in three weeks, and here's the tracking number, and you guys should expect it then. We allow you to have this communication with us because we want you to have access to as much information as you can to help make your life easier, right? Because the more information you have, the more intelligent business decisions you can make, and the more intelligent business decisions you can make the more stuff you're going to sell, right? And the more stuff you sell, the more we got a warehouse, the more we got to ship for you and the more money we're going to make at the end of the day. So we have every incentive to help you do your best because that's what benefits us. Because at the end of the day, if you're not shipping, we're not making money. So we want to help you and we want to give you those tools to succeed.
0: Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's great that it's kind of the back end is just handled (laughs) because it, it, it really, it sounds daunting at first. If you've never gotten into the process, you Say, okay, I've figured out how to get my product and and we help clients with this like constantly. Like our clients come to us with a sketch, we go through design, we get them into production, we get like whatever their first container shipped to a warehouse or whatever else. And if they're selling mm-hmm. direct to consumer, they're going, okay, well, you know, am I throwing this in my garage? And some clients do that, right? They'll they'll get the units, they'll pick it up at, at customs and they'll bring it to their garage and they'll start, you know, one-offing it. And you know, that's maybe good for your first few hundred units, but the reality is you need to have processes in place to eventually scale. Because when a few hundred goes to a few thousand and goes to tens of thousands, you simply can't pull that off in your garage. And not only can't you pull it off in your garage, but you what you really don't want to happen is you don't want to have customers waiting for product if you can avoid it, right? Nobody wants to have a three-month unforeseen delay. And that's why I like that you mentioned about the dashboards, because one of the first things that we're dealing with customers when they're starting to sell their first units is saying, at what point are you going to order your next production run, especially if you're manufacturing overseas or even if it's locally, right? There's a lead time. It's going to take some time to get your second batch. If you've made any adjustments, it'll take even more time to get your second batch. So You need to understand that when you hit, let's say, the halfway points in your inventory, that you're at that point placing an order so that when that first run of inventory runs out, your second one has already been brought into your facility, and is ready to be shipped out to that next customer. So there's no delays, right? And whether it's Amazon that's reselling it or whether you're dealing direct with retailers or wholesalers, nobody likes delays, um, especially on repeat orders or reoccurring revenue uh, customers or whatever else. You really have to have that organized from the get-go.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there. Forecasting is, in my opinion, one of the hardest things about being a new seller because if you don't have two, three years of data You're not going to be aware of your own seasonality. You're not going to be aware of trends, market trends, things happening because you just don't have the data to make those complex decisions. So any piece of information you can get, especially early on, is really important because when you're launching a new product, the most most important information you have is your most recent information, right? So that last two, three weeks of sales is going to carry more weight than what you did week one, and it could sneak up on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had products that have slept for three, four, five months, didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, two weeks go by and we've sold 400 units and we only had 1200 in stock and it's a panic. So it's hey. really important to you know keep up on that data and having access to that data is just really important as an online seller because missed sales is missed opportunities to make more money. And yep. we all wanna make more money. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and time is deadly, right? Like if yeah. you've got somebody whipping out their credit card now, the probability that they're going to whip it out again in a month or two is very very low, right? Buyer, buyers change their mind, they 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 get bored of it, they lose trust, whatever else. So, you know, even just as a kind of a small note here, you're also always a little better to overshoot than undershoot, especially if you're dealing with production. If you think you're going to sell 500 units, and you're fairly confident. You know, do 750 because you can always sell more down the road. You can always push harder to sell more. But what you can't do is almost anything if you run out of inventory and you're waiting on manufacturing. You can only push your producer so hard, and there's only certain you know the, the ship only comes across so fast, or the trucks only drive so quick, right? So you've really got to be ahead of that curve, thinking conservatively um, in terms of um, risk making sure that you're you're understanding that uh, you know the cost of losing sales is far more than the cost of having excess inventory and brand reputation and all the rest. So I really, again, coming back to that dashboard, I think it's smart how it helps customers who may be dealing on just emails or spreadsheets or whatever else to really start to identify those things, use maybe some of that recent data um, before it sneaks up on them. So that's great. Now, how do you deal with certain things like... Um, Returns, refunds, like inventory changing in in those, or even, you know, spoiled inventory, let's say, or something like that, that, uh, you know, time runs out or whatever else, like, how do you have processes to to deal with that sort of stuff that happens with startups?
2: Yeah. So, so, so generally a lot of it has to do with that dashboard, right? So we give you lots of information. Um, You know what you have, you, you got that data. So we're sitting here, we're waiting to follow your lead. And a lot of warehouses are like this as well, where we want to do what you want to do and we want to do things to make things, you know, as easy as possible for you. So a lot of times when goods start to expire, spoil, um, things like that, a lot of our customers actually donate these. And that can be a good way to avoid a lot of disposal costs. It can really, you know benefit some other people and maybe even get you just a little bit of money, right? Like if you could sell this to some closeout company, they might be interested in that, you know, that that hair gel that's 3 weeks old. They might give you, you know, a penny on the dime, you know, 10% of what it's worth, but at least you didn't pay to throw it out. Now, we have processes in the building to help you remove things. We have processes to help you dispose of things, but generally a lot of our customers usually go to charity route because keep in mind, you can also write things off. If you're a profitable like business, why not give it to somebody who can use it or needs it and write it off, right? And There's that, some companies
0: that build it into their sales model. Yeah. Right? And like, I, I uh... mean, it's a
2: really important you know, note to make because so many people waste so much money throwing things away. And sometimes you need to, right? Because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you know you shouldn't protect your brand, right? You shouldn't protect those assets by, you know, getting some of that secondhand inventory off the market. But, you know, you see this at large retailers, like recently, Lululemon's selling their returns. They're selling their returns in their stores next to their real products. And it's because why would you dispose perfectly good inventory that you can make any amount of income on or you could donate or that somebody could get use out of? So I always advocate for, like I said, either closing it out, selling it through a secondhand channel or donating it. But like I said, we also do do disposal. We do do removal orders. We're more than happy to work with you to do whatever you need to take care of that spoiled or uh, aging product. On top of that, we also do some returns management. Now, depends on the warehouse. Some do more returns management than others. Um, There's also a lot of really great reverse logistics firms out there that handle returns. So here at Shipmate, we're able to get your product in. We can do a very simple inspection, right? We can look at that thing, decide if it's new, if it's been open, if it's been used. And we can check new unused units back in on the shelf. And used units, we usually put into a separate bin, mark it as unfulfillable. And we'll send it to wherever you want for either a second inspection or, you know, like I said, disposal, donation, whatever you want to do with it. And that's how we handle returns here. So Got it. usually it's it's a receipt the same way as receiving happens with parcels, followed by a basic inspection, followed by a determination of if the inventory is sellable or not. And then it goes either back on the shelf or into an unfulfillable bin.
0: So big picture here, you, basically you just want, you know, you want Amazon resellers or people who are distributing and selling product essentially just to get the manufactured product to your door and make the sales. And you guys will figure out everything that happens in the middle.
2: Exactly. And that and that's, that's the kicker is people who are hesitant about going in this direction, right? If you're making money, I highly recommend looking for a fulfillment center. And the reason why is there's a lot of things that come into play. One, your time is invaluable, right? If you can sell 10% more, you can afford to pay, you know, five, six, 7% more in handling. Right. Because you're that's selling- Hold on. Let's
0: stop there for a sec. Cause that's a good point. Like, and I know you can't give like exact quotes here, right. but can you just ballpark? Like, what does all this cost? Like, let's say, let's keep it a simple version. You have one product. We bring it to you guys, you know, it's the size of a baseball, and uh, you have to store for a few months, and over the few months, you, you'll ship that out. Like, are you saying this is like anywhere from five to ten percent of maybe your sales cost, or or can it range really? Yeah. Uh, I, are there th- consideration? Can you give some ballpark numbers right. just to I, give some? Ideas I, I would
2: to- I would ballpark having a third party fulfillment center being about five percent increase in cost. That's so, it. So, so you're generally you're going to be paying for receiving. I mean, we can receive a 40-foot container for $350. Like, sorry, $500 for a 40-foot, 350 for a 20-foot. So if you think about the sheer number of boxes on there, you're talking about (laughs) pennies per unit, like pennies. And then you're looking at storage, right? Our storage is a third of what Amazon storage is, right? We are talking 20 bucks a month per pallet, roughly, if I'm just giving you a ballpark figure, right? So you're talking, once again, pennies on the unit where you really see the increases. We charge a pick and a pack fee, right? We sell you packaging, but our prices are lower than Uline. They're lower than any package supplier you're going to find because we have contracts with all the box manufacturers. We have contracts. We manufacture our own poly mailers in China, right? We have our own poly mailers, our own bubble mailers. We manufacture, we went out, we found the factories, we buy our own. We don't use a, a, a third party. So right. Our packaging costs are less than what you're going to pay at the store. So what ends up happening is really you're looking at a pick fee and a pack fee as the two big, you know, boogeymen in the corner. And that's going to be regardless of what tier or what pricing structure you're on, that's going to be in the like $1.50 range, right? Like you're looking at like $1.52 to process an entire order. So you're looking at probably $2 an order increase in cost because you're going to pay the postage anyway. Whether you ship it yourself, you ship it through Shopify, you ship it, you're going to pay the postage. So you're really looking at that pick and pack fee as the increase in your cost. And like I said, if you can sell more, you're going to save you know, eight hours a day doing packaging. I mean, I. Well, and in addition
0: to that, there's equity value and all that, right. right? Because if you yeah. if you do go to and and you know most of our clients that go in and they're starting to do six seven figures in sales, and most of them get acquired. Well, one of the first things they're going to ask you, of course, a lot of the acquirers have their setups, but a lot of them don't or don't want to deal with it or just don't have the capacity. They're going to want to understand that you know, okay, have you sorted out you're selling product and you're manufacturing it? Is everything else sorted out, or am I going to? Take over a a, a tangled bird's nest and have to try and patch it all together just to acquire this. You know, at that point, you're you're a business. You're not just a product, you're a product business at that point in time. So the more things that you can do to automate, the exponentially better your equity valuation becomes. But I really like what you said about time because you should really look at it, say for an extra five, even let's say a more complicated product, an extra 10% or something like that of costs. Think of what you could do in the time saving that it takes you to either pack it in the garage or try and individually sort out all these little pieces, or even let's say you're further down the line, trying to set up all this stuff on your own. This is a complicated business on the back end to make it simple for inventors and, and hardware folks on the front end. And that's where you know, I, I've I've always looked at a lot of value in, in fulfillment centers, I've always recommended them. Uh, maybe not if it's your first couple hundred units, cause you want to just get them in and really baby them. And sure, that's fine. But as soon as you start to scale, as soon as you start to grow past, maybe even with your first production run or shortly thereafter, your first production run, you need to be setting this up in a professional manner so that it's handled end to end so that you can focus your time and energy on selling more products, especially as you scale, because the crazy thing about hardware is you, you can scale at 10 X overnight you know if you get the right buyer and all of a sudden they order so, they can order 10 times the amount of product than you've ever shipped before that is the nature of, of the hardware space so it's even more important that you have these things sorted out earlier look at them as as an investment in time now to save you a tremendous amount of headache in the future so i you know big fan and i appreciate uh, bill you going over all the elements here end to end how it comes in how it goes out um, and then you know understanding um, what what you guys are doing as well. Any last tips for everybody before we let you go here, and then uh, we'll get all your, your you know your information about uh, your company and yourself and whatnot. And uh, yeah, we'll say goodbye after that.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, my biggest thing as a parting piece of wisdom is that scale is everything, right? And staying on top of that scale is how you maximize opportunities. What a third-party fulfillment center or a warehouse helps you do is take advantage of opportunities you otherwise couldn't take advantage of, right? If you need to scale production, boom, you got somebody who can fulfill 3X the orders. If you get thrown a wrench, like you were saying earlier, you need to repackage something, boom, you got somebody who can put that kit together for Costco. It's really buying you the ability to take other opportunities that you couldn't take if you were doing everything yourself. You know, there's a, there's a famous saying out there, do what you do best and outsource the rest. And that's, (laughs) that's something I live my life by. I mean, I don't, I don't call, I don't do my own plumbing. I don't do my own electrical. I call a plumber. I call an electrician. You know, I don't work on my own car. I call a mechanic. So, you know, do what you do best. If you're a sales, sales kind of guy, sell. If you're a product designer, design. But outsource the rest because there are people who are experts at things that can really help you and add value.
0: Yep, no question about it. Great advice, Bill. Much appreciated. Uh, where can folks uh, learn more about Shipmate and uh, you know how to sign up with you or learn more information about the warehousing industry?
2: Yeah, so you can check us out online at www.shipmatefulfillment.com. That's our main website. Besides that, we have a blog. That's blog shipmatefulfillment.com. And we have a YouTube channel that's really growing. We're almost at 2000 subscribers and we'd like you to be part of that. And you can find that on YouTube under Shipmate Fulfillment.
0: And uh, Bill's going to be having me on the show in a month, folks. So uh, yeah. tune in. He's got uh, uh, quite a big show. I think, what would you say? You're over 90 episodes now? Um, yeah. Yeah. Space, so so. We're,
2: we're we're in the high eighties at the moment. So yeah, right on. We might even be episode number 90. So
0: all right. Good stuff. Well, no, Bill really appreciate you being on the show today and uh, sharing all these insights on uh, warehousing and fulfillment and uh, looking forward to talking again. Thanks.
2: Yeah, no, I look forward to having you on my show and, you know, let's keep this going. Appreciate it, Bill. Take
1: care. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the product startup podcast design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Designs, 4 Design Studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.